holding a Shmuel Perik Yadadet, Pasuk Mimbov. Basically, we saw the story of Yenison that even though the girl found him guilty of being the one who transgressed the Shmuel, nevertheless, the people who prayed to him, we saw a number of Hiroshima what that means, and made he wasn't so punished. But without the directive of the Urim Vatomim to continue the battle, they don't. And therefore the Pasuk says, Vayal shal plishtim, plishtim So Shal doesn't pursue the Plishtim further. The Plishtim have been defeated. They go back to their country. And now Shmuel, who's, I mean Shal, who's now being, being victorious over the Plishtim, so he uses the opportunity to consolidate the kingship of Avakai Israel. And so it says, Vishal lachad hamalucha Yisrael. Lachad literally means to capture. In other words, or in this case, it means rather to make more firm or more uh, more in his control the kingship of Eklai Israel. And as a king, he did exactly what the people wanted him to do as a king and despite the battles of the Jews. He fought in all different directions. Moab and Ne'aman are to the east. Adam is to the south, Malchitzav is to the north, Plishtim is to the southwest. In other words, in all the different borders of Klai Israel, he either fought or uh, defended against the various enemies Klai Israel had. And in any, wherever he turned, Yarshia, Yarshia literally means he, where this, that some of the explained it, is that he, he caused damage to the enemy. This, uh, he did all this with the the guidance of the Aramatumi. Um, we don't we aren't told about that. We, we, uh, we, we would assume that he was under some he was being guided, but it doesn't tell us who he okay. asked. Now the word Yashir is interesting because it means that uh, to cause damage or to uh, to cause injury to the other side, but it wasn't a cons- it wasn't a conclusive victory. So yes, he was uh, successful in. Uh, inflicting harm on the enemies and maybe breaking their ranks or whatever it's going to be but it wasn't uh, something which was a complete uh, destruction of the enemy as the Mephashim explained that it's not the normal Lashon use uh, Yashir is a uh, Lashon of Yachir which means he frightened them or he babbled, he confused them as some of the Mitzvah says or the Ratak says um, even according to Bishai that it means he, he was successful over them but it wasn't he destroyed them and therefore, it's a uh, rem is to show the king who wasn't in the ultimate position of being a king. He was successful as a king. But like we'll see later, it says by David Amelech, in the national pasuk, it says, "Erdaf oiva vasirikem v'lay v'lay ashkad acharosam." I'm going to chase my enemies, and I won't rest until I've destroyed them. There's another level, not just like inflicting damage on the enemy, but uh, actually destroying the enemy. What's coming up? Was there a mitzvah for that? Like- to show them these were Kaisal's enemies. Yeah. And uh, now that they had an army that they were able to defend themselves or even be proactive and destroy that as a potential future conflict, that's what they did. But since you're also the Plishtim. Right. means he raised an army. Achal normally means an army. So he brought together the army and he attacked Amalek. And, uh, there, and by doing that, he had now dealt with all the various enemies and all the various sides. And he saved Kaisal from those who were Shisei, or those who were trying to attack, or those who were trying to take advantage of 
still from Klai Yisrael. So, so Prince Klai Yisrael said he had managed to, like, so to speak, defend them or at least uh, give enough of a deterrent that nobody tried to attack Klai Yisrael. This was all in the first year of Shaul's reign. Right. Right. One year as we saw Shaul's success. Now, that's telling us about Shaul's position as the king. Now we're going to read about Shaul's uh, private life. So it says, Vayu, B'nei Shaul, Shaul had three sons. Yeah, and the son we know about already, he was a Bukhar, V'yishvi, V'mal Kishua. So he had three sons, and besides he had two daughters, V'shem Shnei Tnoisav, he had two daughters, Shema Bechir and Merav, V'shem Akhtan and Michal. The older one is called Merav, the young one is called Michal. It's not common that the Torah gives us the names of girls, and this is the reason for it. And over here we're going to see that uh, both Merav and Michal are going to Shukayach, be part of the story. Vishem Eisenshol and Shol's wife was Achinayim Vasachimat, which is interesting that it tells us the names of his children before the name of his wife. Uh, normally we have it the other way around, especially when it comes to David and Melech, at first it tells us who David's wives were, and only after it tells us his children. It's interesting here, yeah, it first tells us the children, and only after it tells us who, who he is married to. Um, Thank you. I didn't see anyone who raises the question why it's like that. V'shem Saratzvay Avinei Berner Toin Shol. Shol's father's name was Kish, as we know. Shol's uncle's name was Ner, and Avner was the name of his first cousin, who made the journal of the army. That's what it says. V'kish Avi Shol Berner Avi Avner Ben Avil. They were both the sons of Avil, so basically it was uh, it was a cousin. Okay, so that, that's Shol's immediate family. Now. The uh, how do you translate this His name is written here, which is the first time, only time, it's written Avi Ner, which literally means my father is Ner, which is true, his father was Ner. So, uh, why would you write that? So, we don't know much about Ner. In other words, at what stage was Ner still alive at this stage, in which case his son is named after him in his lifetime, was maybe Ner already dead at this stage, which then his son is named after him. I don't know. I don't know the person tell us. Um, it's true, it's unusual that someone gives their name to their son. That's true. Okay, now to return to the story. But here, Melcham and Chazak are punished him, call him Meshal. The Kish Avishal. The war or the states of war between the Jews and Pishtim continued throughout the reign of Shal, even though the Pishtim had been defeated time and again, nevertheless, there still remains an enemy. Whenever Shal kept a standing army, he was always scared of the Pishnah coming to attack. Whenever he saw someone who was a potential soldier, a potential warrior, so he used to gather, like, keep him as a soldier, just have a standing force if necessary to attack the Pishnah, which was something which hadn't happened until now. Until now, the Jewish people didn't have a standing army. Mm-hmm. When something happened, they used to rally the troops and they used to try and like, band together to fight. Over here we see Shal again as a king. So he maintains a fighting force in order to protect Israel whenever the needs going to arise. Is that a lack of a moon or is that a It was one of the dilemma of the king. What the Torah says is the king, but he can't have too many. He shouldn't make too big an army. And uh, we don't find Shal's blame for too big an army. We find it that it's something which was his How come the Shaykhtin never felt the need to do that? They didn't feel the need. The Shaykhtin was appointed for the position when their needs arose. There wasn't a leader at the time. When Hashem wanted to save them from Midian, he sent Gidon. When Hashem wanted to save them from Sisra, he sent Barak. There weren't, there weren't leaders before that that they were in the position to raise none. 
they were chosen for the job when necess- necessity came to fight. So there was never a chance before that to have an army. Were the Plishtim at this point still controlling the the uh, the amount of uh, metals that were it left? It seems not. It seems now after they've been dis- like defeated and the Jewish people were no longer under the influence of the same. And especially every time they conquered an army, they take yeah. all their weapons. And they take weapons from them as well. Okay, now we come to the most tragic incident of Shaw's life. Um, we have to try, well, first of all, you see the context of why, why Hashem used this as a reason to punish Shaw. So you also have to understand from Shaw's point of view what it was that caused him to make such a big mistake. So remember Shaw, the last time that Shmuel and Shaw met, uh, Shaul didn't listen, didn't wait for Shmuel to come, and Shmuel left with uh, basically a threat that Shmuel was going to take the king's away from give it to somebody else. And now we find Shmuel being sent by Hashem to give Shaul new instructions. Hashem sent me as the one to appoint as a king over to Israel, and obviously everyone knows that. Why do you have to preface what he's saying with those words? Why would this be a necessary introduction? Shaul knew exactly who Shmuel was, and he knew the story that Shmuel had appointed him as the king. So if Shmuel wants to come and tell him Dvar Hashem, he should just come and tell him Dvar Hashem. Why, was, why does Shmuel feel he has to introduce what he's saying by saying Hashem sent me to appoint you as a king? And the answer is we saw before. The last time they met, Shmuel told Shaul that you're going to lose your kingship. And that's when he left him. And now, Shmuel is coming back to him to instruct him to do something as a king. And therefore, Shmuel starts an introduction that the master, the fact that you're a king is because Hashem sent me to appoint you as a king, and now that you're still in that position, so now I'm telling you what to do. In other words, you can't uh, claim that I can't tell you to do anymore because uh, I've told you you want to lose a kingship in the future. Right now, you're still in the position of a king, and now, therefore, Hashem, just like Hashem gave me the instruction to make you the king, this is one of your jobs as a king. So that's the second point we're going to come to. The mitzvah that Shul is going to tell Shul is mitzvah to defeat the Malik. And the Chayyim can ask ourselves a question, which the Rishonim already asked, and that is, the mitzvah to defeat the Malik comes in the Torah. Timcha Zecher, Amalek destroyed any memory of Amalek, and this is already over 390 years of the Jewish people being there to Shul. And uh, no one until now thought about being the kind of mitzvah. Not all the tzaddikim before, not Yeshua, not the Sneer, not Abraham Gera, not Gila, not the Vera. All the tzaddikim we had in the Shmuel. Why did no one uh, think of being the kind of mitzvah until now? Which wish they had to appoint a king. Oh. So the Rambam says that there's, there were three mitzvahs that Kai Israel were in its David to do when they came to Israel, mm-hmm. to appoint a king, to destroy a monarch, and to build the best in mm-hmm. And the Rambam's shitzah is that it has to go in that order. In other words, that it's not just a random uh, list of mitzvahs and we can choose which one to do when. It has to go in that order. First you have to appoint a king, then the king will have to be the one to destroy a monarch, and once a monarch is destroyed, then we can build the best in English. And the reason for that, like Shem himself, is an apostle. That as long as a monarch uh, is in existence, there's a Yad al case God. There's something preventing Hashem's malchus being revealed in its entirety. And therefore, what that was meant to be, what the Besamekdash was meant to show the world, and it would have to, in order for that to happen, it should really have waited until after Amarag was destroyed. And since until now, Kaishal didn't have a king, 
So then you have the chiyuv to destroy Amalek. And that's another reason why Shmuel comes and says to Shal, Hashem told me to appoint you as a king, and that's why this mitzvah is chal on you. Since you're the one who's the king, then you're the one who Hashem spoke to when he said it's a mitzvah to destroy Amalek. And so how come they it? built the base of Mikdash after, uh, I'm sorry, before Amalek was completely destroyed? Meaning, Shal ended up failing, right? So the Mishra on Zavar and Melech tried. But uh, once the opportunity was lost, if we destroyed it, then we could not put the base of Mikdash. We did the best we could to destroy the country of Amalek, we had to see. It was a survivors who disappeared. And, uh, but there wasn't a nation of Amalek anymore. And they were actually the ones who, who stopped the building of the base of Mikdash by clay rage and much later. Time. Much much later, much later but right. So we see a direct connection from Amalek to try to stop. Sure. Is there anybody who says that, Taco? Yeah. That? 100%. Oh, Okay, so now, therefore, as a king, you're the one who's been instructed, and this is what Hashem wants you to do. Um, there's also a mashmosa rashi over here, but this is the opportunity to redeem yourself. In other words, the last time you didn't listen to Hashem, and you, you are threatened you're going to lose the kingship, and now Hashem saying that I gave you the opportunity to be a king, you have a second chance. You have a second chance to rectify the mistake, and this time listen, because it will maybe preserve you as a king. Okay, so what is, what is what's the mitzvah that Shaul is told to do? Kaimar Hashem Tzvakas. That's what Hashem says. Pokadati as Hashem Asa Amalek the Yisrael. I remember, or I've brought to, I'm going to now bring to the judgment, what Klai Amalek the Yisrael will Hashem Samla Baderech Melesim Yisrael. Samla Baderech literally means he ambushed him on the way when he came out of Yisrael. And uh, it's interesting, that's the fact, that's the point that Akira that the Navi says that's what Hashem remembers about Amalek. There are a lot of things Amalek did wrong. Um, it says that the Mechayah from Agadef, they kind of hurled the th- threats of Hashem. It says that they used to cut us the Brismillas of Kaya Israel. There's a few things Amalek did wrong. But the one that uh, Hashem is remembering, and that's the reason why he wants to kill, destroy them, is And that is that they, they came to ambush Kaya Israel on the way. But that was 400 years earlier. Which was in the time of Mitzrayim. 450. It was more, yeah, it was a lot more than 440 years earlier. And what is the, what, 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 what is the, the reason why that's what Hashem remembers? And the answer that is, is because uh, the other nations who Klai Israel was attacking them on their borders, it would be, that's a somehow understandable why they would feel threatened. Whereas Bramalek was nowhere on the route of the Klai Israel were going. And therefore, there was this, well, you can't claim this to have been a defensive position, that they were trying to prevent themselves being attacked. There wasn't a, there wasn't the Mahalik Israel were interested in going anyway. They came to the desert of Haifa Israel, which means they came to Badafka to fight. There wasn't a, any any argument in their defense that they were clearly protecting themselves, that they were worried that they were going to get attacked. And Hadalik was step further, it wasn't just to attack Israel, it was to make a stand to show we don't care about Hashem. And therefore, we're not scared to attack Klai Yisrael. And therefore, that's what Hashem remembers. And if someone's going to have their way to make a chil on Hashem, so then they deserve to be punished for that. But it, it's, it's a national... Uh... It's like a Amalek's uh, hatred for Klai Yisrael remained throughout, and more than that, just the hatred for Klai Yisrael. The, what they hated more than that was their willingness to want to wage war against Hashem. That's what the puzzle says, Milchamed Hashem Ba'amalek. And Malek has this, uh, has this desire to fight Hashem, whatever reason that is, but that remains 
within Amalek, even if it doesn't manifest itself the whole time, whenever we find Amalek, they come back to it again. And uh, that's something which that's Hashem wants to destroy, obviously. Uh, which, like I said, it's not necessarily the people of Amalek in that time, but that's something specifically wrong. But that Midrash still existed in Amalek. And therefore, that's something which, uh, that's what Hashem meant in the Torah too. He says, Timcha Zeichar Amalek. He wasn't just talking about the Amalek of that time. They had to be destroyed, but any future memory of Amalek as well, any future descendant of Amalek also, because that's the nature of Amalek, which is, even if we're going to see that the few survivors who are going to regroup will, will ne- won't lose their identity as Amalek even. A quick question. Amalek never denied Hashem, that makes it worse, because they weren't uh, in denial, they weren't in doubt, they knew it was Hashem, what the Gemara says, Yodim Yisparam, they knew, they wanted to fight. And obviously, how do you fight Hashem? So, they couldn't fight Hashem. What they wanted to fight was that this world shouldn't recognize Hashem. Mm-hmm. So, they're going to go as far as they can to try and prevent other people recognizing Hashem or to prevent other people listening to Hashem. So, they're like, a, they, they didn't deny Hashem for a moment. That's, that's part of the evil of Amalek. Mm-hmm. That they made it their goal enough to try and destroy any recognition of Hashem. Which we have that middle today as well. Again, I can't point to anybody and say they are Amalek, but the middle exists. The middle exists, unfortunately, even among Jew, some Jewish people. And that is that they know that there's a. There's not that they, they've never heard that there's Hashem, but the fact that people listen to him is something which they want to fight against. And therefore, they go out of their way to try and destroy anyone keeping mitzvahs or try and stop people learning Torah or anything else which is going to uh, be this, doing what Hashem wants people to do. It's clear they have a they have a vendetta against that. They're trying to wage a campaign, even if there's no difference to them at whatsoever. It's not like they can't even claim and affect them in any way, but it disturbs them. It disturbs them the fact that people are trying to do mitzvahs. That's the middle of Amalek. That's the middle of Amalek. So uh, now, as uh, as now that he's a, he's a Jewish king, and as such, he can raise the Jewish army. So therefore, Shmuel gives his instruction. This is Now go and, and fight Amalek, attack Amalek, and destroy everything that they had, like the Torah says. No mercy. From man to woman, from baby to child, from sheep, to, from, from cattle to sheep, camels and donkeys, everything. In other words, no survivors of Amalek, which is the mitzvah. Which means destroy any memory of a mother. Wipe out everything, all the people, destroy all their possessions. That's the mitzvah which, as a king, you're given to do. Now, why is it like that? So, before we get to what happened, let's try and understand the mitzvah of the Torah to destroy a mother. So, the mitzvah to destroy the people, we can understand. If it's, uh, that's the, the inherent middle of the people, so then. It's, uh, it's any survivor is going to grow up to continue that same philosophy, to continue that same ideology. So we understand Hashem wants to kill the people. Why do you have to kill the animals? Why do you have to kill the animals? Which is so clearly. All the animals, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, everything. The animals aren't necessarily espousing uh, the ideology of a mother. So that's an interesting point. The answer is that, and so Fazal say, that if people still say this is something which used to belong to Amalek, it means the idea of Amalek is still in the world. 
You know, even if it's through their possessions. We he, captured this from Amalek. Right, we, we ha- we're still remembering Amalek. And what Hashem wants is Amalek to get forgotten. And that's what Paul says. Destroy the memory of Amalek. No one should know there wasn't Amalek. It's something which just by virtue of it being there, brings back bad memories. Brings back an idea of people that deny Hashem or try to fight him. It's Lahavil today. Right? Even if long, they're no longer around by Hashem, but remembering the Nazis is, or the Inquisitors, whatever it's going to be, brings back the memory of evil. If we were, they would be destroyed to the extent that there's nothing, nothing pointing to them, nothing which, which anyone can ascribe to them, and there's no connection to them, they disappear, they're gone. So that, that, that uh, takes that, that concept or that philosophy out of the world. And therefore the same thing applies over here. That, uh, like Chazal said, that uh, if people be able to point to their animals or their things, and so these were Amalek things, then uh, that would that would that wouldn't ha- uh, provide the shlemus of destroying any memory of Amalek. There would still be a pasuk in the Torah. Oh, we always ask that question, and that is, how can we destroy the memory of Amalek? Well, the Torah has a pasuk telling us to destroy Amalek. And the whole episode. Right. Uh, it's like remember to forget Amalek. How do you do that? If, if you Zohar, you have to remember every day. That's it. Uh-huh. You, you remember Amalek in total, you remember him, and destroy him, you actually don't remember. How, how do you, it's a spirit. How do you do that? You always ask that question. It's a great question. It's a great question. I haven't seen some portion of talk about it. Uh, how, do you, how do you always remember something that you made to forget? But the answer is like this. And that is, we can remember the destruction of Amalek. That's not the, the, the problem is remembering Amalek. And therefore, we have to remember to destroy him. Because uh, talking about the fact that evil got destroyed isn't, doesn't affect you at all. It doesn't matter, just destroyed. Looking at it as something which still has some connection, or some, something which was belonging to it. It's like you see the cattle and so, Ah, you know, once upon a time, there were these wealthy landowners or farmers called Amalek, or you see the wealth of Amalek. So once those rich people called Amalek, that's giving them, remembering them as their power. We don't want to do that. But to remember their destruction, we don't mind it. We want, that, uh, we, we, we want to remember that those who opposed Hashem got destroyed. Okay, so that's the mitzvah, and that's the mitzvah which is given to Shaul. Uh, that's what Rabbi was saying. Yeah. Remembering the destruction. Yeah. Yeah. He said yeah. it in other words, but it's basically Good. So that's the mitzvah that's given to Shaul. There's another, but that's the answer which Chazal gave us, supported by most of the portion here. There is another, there is another, um, Opinion as well, which is brought to Midrash, which is going to be negated to the Hemshach of the story, and that is that Amalek, as uh, people who knew how to use sorcery, could make themselves look like animals. Not that they were animals, but they could kill and make themselves look like animals, and therefore, if you're not going to destroy all the animals, it could be there be people of Amalek who disguise themselves in some way, and you're not going to, and then they're not going to get up and killed, which I'll be honest with you, I this one opinion of Allah is exactly what happened. And that's why Shul made it very clear to him, you have to destroy everything. You have to destroy everything. Now the emphasis doesn't just apply to the living things of Amalek, even though that's all the possible means. The myth of Tim Chazech Amalek means their possessions too. Destroy their houses, uh, burn down their furniture, it's everything. But uh, Shul doesn't talk about that, so he just talks about uh, the living things and that support the opinion that Akira, that was the Chashash, that Amalek could uh, make themselves appear like some other creature. In which case, there would be an to destroy them when they kill anything which looks like an animal so that we don't land up unwittingly keeping some of them like a lad. They couldn't make themselves look like a dresser? 